Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. It is Friday. Why are you laughing? We haven't even we started yet. We had a spicy yet. green room, people. We had a spicy green room. I, I'm so, okay. <laughs> Tim Miller knows that it's Friday, which means it's the weekend podcast. And we got a lot of heavy lifting to do, right? And I don't know. I'm, do. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure that I'm in in the mood to do that. But we will. We will. Because of course, uh, as as we speak, there's a lot of hot uh, hot takes out there. The punditocracy is saying Democrats uh, may look like they're in disarray, but they're moving toward a deal. Well, we'll see. We'll find out. I mean, wake up this morning, no deal, no vote last night. Game of political chicken, which can possibly end in a fiery crash <laughs> at at the end, right? Um, chickens on the road. I, so let's talk. We're gonna we're gonna talk, we're gonna talk about uh, we're gonna talk about Joe Manchin and Joe Manchin's math. And um, Tim Miller, you've you've actually sainted Joe Manchin. You have a piece, an ode to Saint Saint Manchin. It's a little tongue in cheek, but we'll get into it. It's a little tongue. A little tongue in cheek. No, I, I I thought I thought it was, but um, okay. So I'm 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 a little bit distracted this morning because it turns out that Julie Andrews turns 86 today. Julie Andrews is 86. That's that's hitting me. I'm I'm telling you. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, I woke up this morning about nine minutes before this podcast was supposed to start, so I was a little punchy <laughs> to a Slack message from you asking you my favorite Julie Andrews song, and I was like, and I was like, now which one is she? No, no, that's not what you said. I swear, no, in my brain, in my brain, that's not what I said on Slack, but in my brain, I had to go I, to Spotify. I, I, I I asked you very respect. I said, "What is your favorite Julie Andrews tune?" She turns eighty six today, and you responded at eight fifty one a.m. Central Time. I am not a theater gay, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what? I there was no implication there whatsoever. I mean, I grew up with Julie Andrews. My kids grew up with Julie Andrews. So I just want to know what was your favorite. Okay, I'll tell you what mine one. was. Okay, I, I'll, I'll tell you what mine was. I, I had to think about this for a few minutes, and this is my choice. The hills are alive with the sound of music. I'm feeling better already. <laughs> with songs nah. they have sung. Nah, still need your commentary here. <laughs> See, that was that was beautiful. And so and <sighs> I just I gotta tell you, I, I did my best to just kind of no, no, I came didn't. a little late to, to to you know gayness. I came out a little late and so I tried this to do has everything nothing to I do could. with it does, it does to encompass all of the cultural totems. And you know, on Wednesday nights in DC at JR's, if you're if you're inclined, they have a show tunes night. Uh, you might want to Google that. I think this it was is, Wednesday. I didn't never go, and this... I tried to go one time, and it's just—it's hard. It's, I mean, no, it's just my it's... skin is crawling just listening to that one bar. I can't do it. I can't do it. I wanted okay, to. How can you not want to go out and find a hill and put your arms out and spin around while singing? This, John, give me the, give it. To me. Come on. The Talking about Where's the guitar. Oh, you want to talk about reconciliation? I'm feeling better already. I'm I'm feeling myself breathing better. So, you know, I asked you to choose something, and you 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 pretty much fumbled on all of it. So I would I have a suggestion because I've been listening to you on some of our secret of uh, next level mm-hmm. um, behind the paywall podcast, mm-hmm. where you and other members of the Bulwark staff who will I'm not going to drag in at this moment right right now. 
tend to be a little bit negative and dark. So I was say. think I was thinking that in honor of you, Tim, this 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 should be your theme song for um, from Julie Andrews' eighty uh, sixth birthday. For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. The medicine go down. Medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. See, from now on, people are going to see Tim Miller, and they're going to start whistling that in their heads. That, that's see, that's right. Yeah, I don't know. That one, that one was okay. Who was the other guy? The chimney guy, Chim Chim Cherry. Yeah, what was that guy's name? Oh, god, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, yeah, who's like still alive, actually. <laughs> Is Dick Van Dyke still kicking? Hey, and he's fried. He didn't he endorse Biden? I feel like I did, we did see him in an ad in 2020. Uh, I liked, I liked his uh, his numbers marginally better. Um, than Julie's, I guess. Okay, so what Mary you have to Poppins. do? Okay, so you, what you have to do is you have to get your kids, gather them together, and go to a marathon Sound of Music Mary Poppins. I've never know? seen the Sound of Music. Okay, maybe start with Victor Victoria <laughs> then. I've never heard of Victor Victoria. Oh, okay, if you, maybe this will be your entry level drug for Julie Andrews, Victor Victoria. Okay, I'm for for people who are like, okay, when, Charlie, when are you going to get into the dark stuff? The end of democracy. Um, all right, so the end of democracy is not imminent. I mean, it's not like tomorrow. You know, we can no, chat no, about no, other things. And it, be it's not concerned it's not, about it. So here's here's my take this morning, and I, and I think it's segue in my newsletter day, which is basically all Tim Miller all the time. Okay, but I, I segue into it by saying, so somewhat be. Relatedly, <laughs> Democrats are kind of realizing that they have this problem that they don't have enough votes to get everything they want. It turns out they don't have 218 votes in the House for full metal jacket progressive agenda. And amazingly, it turns out they do not have 51 progressive votes in the United States Senate. And, and kind of in his gentle West Virginia kind of way, that was the point that Joe Manchin was making yesterday, right? He's talking about the basic arithmetic of our political moment. Uh, th this is what Joe Manchin had to say yesterday. I've never been a liberal in any way, shape, or the form. There's no one has ever thought I was. I've been governor. I've been state secretary of state. I've been state legislature. I've been a U.S. senator. And I have voted pretty consistently all my whole life. I don't fault any of them who believe that they're much more progressive and much more liberal. God bless them. And all they need to do is we have to elect more, I guess, for them to get theirs, elect more liberals. <laughs> you want your progressive unicorn? You're going to need a bigger caucus of unicorn fans, people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Uh, the van's making some points. I don't know. You know, uh, the the uh, the St. Joe Mansion uh, little shtick, if, if people didn't read the article, was was more of a tease of some of the progressives who do those candles. I would get those candles as a gift of like a Bob mm -hmm. Mueller. <laughs> tchotchke candle yeah. uh and and you know mansion seems to be the crux point for them getting as much of their unicorn as they're gonna get and 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 there should maybe be some gratefulness i don't i don't know I, look the the 1.5 trillion I, I think if you looked at his his proposal that he signed with schumer um there are things not to like about it, for sure. If you're a progressive there are things not to like about it if you're a conservative um you know i think most of the feedback i got on email about the article was that, uh, you know, the climate provisions were insufficient. I don't disagree with that. Um, but he represents West Virginia. 
you know, I, I did, to your point about how you need you need a bigger caucus of liberals. I, I think that if you want climate action passed, well, you know, Sarah Gideon probably needed to win in Maine, um, where you know there would have been an electorate that was more amenable to, to yeah. You, to that. you win win more elections. I, look, I mean, I, I know this is kind of a duh moment when I say you don't have the votes to do all of this. But I mean, this is kind of the, the problem of, of these ideological echo chambers and a little bit of political yeah. hubris that you had all of this talk earlier this year that, you know, that you have to go, you know, FDR, LBJ, Joe Biden's going to be a transformational president. And I don't know, somebody in the back of the room going, by the way, you just don't have a working functional majority in the Senate to do that. And you have like a, what, a three, five vote margin in the House. This is just not going to happen. On the other hand, they do have the obvious option of having, you know, bipartisan centrist governing coalition, which is right there in front of them with the infrastructure bill. Okay, so I want you to back up, though, on your mansion. Piece, yes. All right. Back up a little bit because you point out Democrats are all mad at Joe Manchin, uh, but they ought to be grateful to him because, as you point out, let's start here. How does Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell sound? You mansion haters. Not great, I bet. Well, St. Joe is the one man standing between you and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell doing everything in his power to tank the Biden agenda. Now, you would think it would be the Republicans who would hate Manchin for cock blocking their dreams, your term, while Democrats <laughs> shower him with adulation. But, you know, remind people how incredibly unlikely it is that you would have a Democrat from West Virginia right now. This is a state that went for Donald Trump by 39 freaking points. 39 points. I, there's, just, there's no other example of somebody like him, um, you know, really. And and there is no example of, of a progressive Democrat that is one in a red state, with the one exception of Sherrod Brown, who, who, who is, yeah. you know, in a state that is much closer. I think Trump won mm -hmm. by nine in Ohio. Um, going off the top of my head, though, that might be a point or two yeah. off. But, um, uh, you know, so look, I mean, Manchin, as I said, <laughs> the article is doing is doing loaves and fishes shit. I mean, this is a miracle that he is in there. And the reason that he's able to do it is, A, because of his background in the state, as, you know, as he said in that clip, as governor and, and you know, gained credibility with voters then. And B, because he sticks his finger in the eye of the left from time to time. And that is that is why he's there. It, it, the other option, if you don't like him sticking his finger in the eye of the left from time to time, and you want him to 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 go and be a down the line voting Democrat, well, he's going to go the way of Claire McCaskill. I love Claire McCaskill, by the way. She seems great. Mm. Uh, she seems like a great person. I like going on MSNBC with her. But that's what she does now. She goes on MSNBC. If Joe, if you if you wanted Joe Manchin to become a liberal in good standing, uh, then. You know what he what would have happened two years ago, or what would happen four years from now, is that he would be gone and he would be replaced with Bubba McInsurrection from West Virginia, who would give you nothing, and Mitch McConnell would be the majority leader. And that's it. That we're, there is a one vote read. The Democrats don't even have. They keep talking about their majority. They don't even have a majority in the Senate. They have a tie. They have a tie. It's right. fifty to fifty, right? So if if Dianne Feinstein can't show up for work one day uh, because she's sick. Like they're in the mi they're in the minority that day, yeah. right? Like they, you don't even have a one vote edge, and so so you know you need to govern as such. Yeah, and what Mansion is offering them take the is, win is a bill that is double the size of the Obama stimulus. Double. You're talking about his one point five trillion yeah, dollars, yeah, one point five trillion th uh, uh, outline that he and Schumer signed back in July that was that was reported yesterday. So, did so you see what, what David Axelrod said yesterday on CNN. 
Yeah, he, yeah. Said, he said, I'm so old that I remember when two and a half trillion dollars would be pretty big and bold, referring to the infrastructure bill plus one point five trillion dollars. I mean, I don't know how else to put this, but that's a shitload of money. And and yeah. all the progressives are going, oh, boy, that's a disappointment. See, this is the other thing. And, and, and you have really focused on this. The messaging problem. Democrats and I know Democrats love to get advice from us, but Democrats <laughs> should be going around the country saying, we have this trillion dollar infrastructure bill. All of this good stuff is coming to your community. Billions for trains and public transit. Every lead pipe in the country is going to be changed. Forty seven billion dollars for climate change mitigation. Electric. I mean, all this stuff. And instead, it's like they kind of back themselves into. Yeah, well, this is nothing. If we, if we don't yeah. get the unicorn, this this bill is whatever. Yeah. I mean, here's and here's the thing. I know I know Democrats don't like getting advice for us, but I, no. I have to tell you, I, they need it. And 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 I, and I and I have conversations with Democratic strategists who are friends of mine who don't say who agree with us and don't say this because they need clients and you know they have staff and it's just not worth the bullshit. But but like it's not like we're alone in this in this view that the, the, the messaging has been a nightmare. It's manifestly been a nightmare. You know, I was on MSNBC last night and and a nice woman who was across from me. Oftentimes we agree. But last night, you know, she was like, "This one point five trillion is is just woefully insufficient, or something like that, wildly mm -hmm. insufficient." And I'm like, "That's your message about the bill that you might get—that it's wildly insufficient." I, I just—it doesn't make any sense. And and here's the thing, I would, uh, before I get to the messaging really quick, I want to address one other thing that people have been emailing me. If if you said to me, Tim. The only way to get the $3.5 trillion unicorn of our dreams and, and solve climate change forever is for us to play this game of chicken. And at the, we're going to come out the other side of the game of chicken with a huge policy victory that will do everything that we want as progressives. I would say, okay, maybe that's a worthwhile trade. Um, you know, I, I, I'd have to see exactly what the particulars are of that unicorn. Uh, but maybe I'd agree with you. Maybe I wouldn't on whether that is the perfect piece of legislation, but if that's, you know, you got elected and if, if that's true, that this game of chicken is going to yield to, uh, a unicorn on the, on the back end, then, then, okay, I'll let you, I'll let you continue to do this. There's no evidence that that is true, that that strategy is true. Does Joe Manchin look like he's moved an inch? During this entire game of chicken, I just there, there's like this imaginary game that only progressives are playing where like they've convinced themselves in this Twitter bubble and this activist bubble where if they play this game of chicken, then they have leverage over Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Cinema and Josh Gottheimer and, and they're going to they're going to get what they want in the end. And I, and I think that the opposite is true. I think that the, if anything, they're driving Manchin away. You know, uh, from them, I, I, I don't see any proof that their strategy is working and no one has provided me any proof that their strategy is working. So here, here's my question. Let, let, let's say just for the sake of argument, and I, I'm not making a prediction, but let, let's say that, that Nancy Pelosi pulls the rabbit out of the hat again, which she's pretty good at. Yeah. And they do come, they do come up with some sort of a deal. And let's say that it's in the area of, OK, you go with the bipartisan one trillion dollar bill bill, maybe two ish trillion. Yeah. Um, this is a just a. a you know, an F load of money. And, and yet Democrats are going to be unhappy, right? There's going to be a lot of griping and moaning and, you know, and, you know, pointing of fingers. Are they going to be able to make a pivot? Are they going to be able to turn this around? I know you've talked about this in other venues, but are they going to be able to go, Hey, no, you know what? This is, this is fantastic. We have delivered these amazing things or will they have talked themselves into a funk that's going to hang over the midterms? I, there's time to pivot. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think this is another kind of reason why I think it's important for people like us to raise the siren, right? Like I, we're 14 months from the midterms. And so, you know, if they if, if Nancy pulls the rabbit out of the hat and they have a deal next week, there's plenty of time to 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 get get on on message. There's a lot of people who aren't paying attention right now. You know, you use paid media, go into unorthodox venues, you know, get outside the bubble and and make the case for for what this bill is. So I and, and I think that I didn't write this in the article. Um, because I didn't need more backlash, so now I'll just get it on the podcast. But yeah. I, there's an argument that the the mansion outline makes that job for them easier, you know. Because I, you know, even when they thought they were getting the 3.5 trillion, I didn't think they were doing a pretty particularly good job of telling people what was in it. Like I had to keep googling it. You know, I'm a I'm a power Twitter user and and obs- political obsessive uh, who's paid to comment on politics. I had to keep googling. I was like, what exactly was in the reconciliation you know, bill again? And I'd Google I Google it and look at everything. Like there's no you know, the mansion thing is easy. It's child tax credit, more assistance for working families. Uh, and in exchange, uh, you know, we're making, we're raising the, t- get, repealing the Trump tax bracket and making those hedge fund assholes pay by getting rid of the carried interest thing. That's something that people get. Most yeah, people those, are going to be for that. No, they, they will pull very, very well. So I have to tell you, I'm, I'm having this kind of PTSD watching, uh, which you describe as the uh, progressive hive mind at work, talking themselves into the game of chicken. It really feels like watching the House Freedom Caucus back in 2013. Yes. You know, do you know what I mean? It's the same yeah. thing where you you have you know all of the echo chambers saying, "No, stand firm, stand firm." You have to, you know, if you if you, you don't be a sellout. Um, when in fact, you know, the math doesn't add up. The numbers are not there, and yet. There is this huge push that we have to do this. And let's let's demonize Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, whose votes you need. Let's attack them and vilify them as much as possible, as opposed to and and I, you know, this does feel like that kind of performative, I don't know, performative non-legislative stance that we used to get from the Mark Meadows of the world and the Ted Cruz's. Those guys didn't get anything out of it, by the way. Remember, I mean, like though some of them won primaries, so so I guess you got that. Um, and Democrats haven't really had as bad of a primary um, problem as Republicans did um, back then, but that might be coming. Uh, hey, so but, wanna... but they didn't get anything, right? Like this is no. something, the game of chicken. Like they didn't, they didn't ever, they didn't ever get anything out of it. And then in 2016, Donald Trump comes in, right? Is that they didn't even get a nom- presidential nominee the next time. It's not like if you're if you're using that as the model and you're the progressives, you're like, okay, well we're gonna fight for this, and the next time we'll get our our version of Bernie. He'll be pretty old, but whoever the next Bernie is, uh, they didn't get that. Donald Trump ran on a completely opposite crazy platform from them, which is like, like profligacy and racism, right? It wasn't, it wasn't hardline on, on, you know, spending like those Freedom Caucus guys were. So, you know, here's just one of the things that is worth mentioning because I'm obsessing over the progressives. And, and I mentioned this to the next level, but, it, but it, it bears repeating, is that in any other time in American history, like all of this would be, for, wouldn't matter because the bipartisan infrastructure bill has already passed the Senate. And and the House, the Democrats have a have a slim majority, as you've pointed out. But you know, there's a there's a supposed problem solvers caucus that has I, I don't know off the top of my head, thirty five ish Republicans in it. And so you'd get twenty eight of them that would be for this, right? Because they're in the problem solvers caucus. And um, you know, at least Stefanik is in the problem solvers caucus. <laughs> what a farce this is! This fucking problem solvers caucus. Yeah, uh, and they would join. She probably, she probably doesn't show up at the meetings anymore. <laughs> yeah, they, they would join with Josh Gottheimer and and Nancy Pelosi, and they'd all get together in a room and 
they'd say they'd hash out with their any disagreements they had with the Senate bipartisan infrastructure bill, and they'd sign it, and you'd have twelve progressives uh, on the left or fifteen or whatever who who would who would vote in protest, and and there still would be a ten vote majority, and Nancy would whip it. I, I this is this is what happened in the sixties and seventies and eighties and nineties and two thousands. It started to slow with Newt Gingrich, and then it ended when you know in twenty oh nine when Mitch McConnell decided that he, that he didn't want. You know, Obama to get anything nice, um, uh, and and now now kind of both sides play this game. So like that's that that is another part of this of this calculus here is that you're dealing with a bunch of nihilists, you know, who who, right. um, who you know who have played this game of chicken before, and 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 who have learned the game of chicken, and that's now their the whole caucus, right? Like instead of it just being forty people who want to play a game of chicken with the economy. Now it's literally the entire house caucus, except for like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and two very quiet problem solvers guys who just like, are like, I'll vote with you, but just don't make me do any interviews about it. Right. Like that's it. There's like four of them left. Well, and, and, and Mitch McConnell's position is so quintessentially Mitch McConnell, but the, his whole line that yes, absolutely. You have to raise the debt ceiling. Um, it would be disastrous not to, but we're not going to help you. And in fact, we're going to block every effort you actually make to do what we are saying you absolutely must do because the alternative is catastrophic. I'm not sure that I remember anyone articulating it quite that way. It, it, it's like, okay, the house is on fire, um, but it's your job to put it out, but I'm going to lock the doors, you know, lock lock the closet that has the fire extinguisher in it and stop you in any way possible from getting to the fire extinguisher. And yet, and the entire Republican Senate caucus, including like, Mitt Romney, right. is like, okay, is, yes, sure. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, I, I know. You know. Everybody's been beaten down by that. It's sort of, in his own way, it's Mitch's Trumpian element, right? Where where people got so tired by all the Trump outrages that like they didn't register anymore on the meter. It's like people have gotten so beaten down by the fact that Mitch will act, you know, in the most... Uh, uh, you know, nefarious way possible to get what he wants politically uh, and not considering the ramifications on the country that it's like, well, it's happened so many times now. It's like, that's just Mitch. And that's like, the, that's bought in. Right. And so it's like, people don't even get as outraged as they should be anymore. Cause that, and the debt ceiling thing is insane. When the, you, we all remember, I don't know if this, I'm sure that there was, you know, something before my time, but like we remember in, what was it? 11, you know, and 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 everybody, the political media's hair was on fire. Everybody was going crazy. It's like Ted Cruz and these guys are gonna, you know, uh, let us default on our debt. And it was yeah, a major issue right, in the Republican right. primary that year. Multiple candidates fell in different places. I forget where Mitt was in that, but I was with Huntsman at the time, and we were like, we're gonna be responsible. It's like, okay, it's us and two other guys on the stage. That should have been a warning sign. Um, but big warning sign. Um, you know, I mean, like that—that that was a big, big deal in 2011. And I guess you know, maybe it'll be a big deal once we get through all this other stuff as, as we approach default this time but but you can just sense that like there's that that, that people and the political it's a political media failure uh, are, are having trouble summoning the outrage because we've been down this road with mcconnell so many times before well exactly so uh i was thinking about the the 2013 you know ted cruz shutting down the government the demagoguery that had that had no end game whatsoever and um, as I was walking my dog and listening to uh, cable commentators, somebody was saying, well, this is a terrible loser for Republicans to be taking this position. And and I kind of winced and I thought, you know, that, of course, was the universal conventional wisdom with how disastrous this was going to be for Republicans uh, doing what they did back in 2013. But they didn't pay a price for it in 2014. They didn't pay any price whatsoever. 
Nope. And I think that's what Mitch is sitting around going, we can burn this whole fucking place down. And you know what? We're the party out of power and they're going to turn to us. It worked in 2014 was a huge Republican year after they had behaved recklessly just a year before. And nobody remember. I mean, I didn't seem to register at all. Right. So yeah, no, I was thinking, I was actually just thinking about that. I was like, what with the 2014 midterm? I mean, I, a few, I mean, Republicans screwed the pooch in a few Senate races, but it was because of like their nominating process. Right? It wasn't like any of the incumbent senators paid any price. They didn't. And Mitch did it. Uh, okay. So could we, I, I, want, I want to talk about immigration for a moment, but could yeah. we just talk for a moment about um, Mike Pence? I, I just have, we have a, sure. uh, we have the lead story in the bulwark right now that, um, by Casey Michael, uh, why was Mike Pence hobnobbing with a sanctioned genocide denier? And it's about the former vice president hanging out in Hungary with a man who wants to destabilize the Balkans. Uh, He actually flew to Budapest to speak alongside all these other sort of sketchy politicians, uh, including a number of anti-democratic leaders. He he went to this, the Budapest Demographic Summit, And apparently met and schmoozed with this guy who is notorious for denying um, genocide and uh, has been sanctioned by the United States for his ongoing efforts to break up Bosnia. See, I guess my, my more my more basic question is Mike Pence feels that he's got to you know follow this this pilgrimage to Hungary. What is the constituency for Hungary's fascist adjacent politics? I mean, what is the I, you know, I mean, it used to be the guys went to Iowa or they went to New Hampshire. They didn't go to fucking Hungary. What's that about? It is so bizarre, isn't it? And it's not like Hungary is this raging success on the world stage. <laughs> you know, it's like the Hungary economy. I mean, Hungary is getting dominated by the countries around it uh, economically. Um, look, it is, it's this kind of fantasy, you know, conservative uh you know disneyland right like quasi-fascist disneyland right it's this fantasy that these guys are living where victor orban did kind of what a slightly more competent trump could have done right like he he got in uh democratically he sort of ran it it was different than trump in a way he sort of ran as a pretty conventional republican actually a number of uh, people that i had worked with i forget what year this is 2010 i think um uh, consulted all the european countries you know use american consultants and he, he used like Bush's people or, you know, whatever in that first election. And then slowly, increasingly starts using more and more of this kind of Bannon world. So like, you know, international nationalist cabal. And I emailed all those people to see if they could tell me anything interesting. And they're all like, we've been out since 2012. But he slowly started to, um, you know, like one at a time, I, I take away, you know, you know, some, yeah. uh, uh, some of the basic freedoms, you know, to uh, uh, consolidate power. Right. And, 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 and it, yeah. yeah. And he succeeded. Of- right. And so, so I think that in some way there's this, like, fa- there's this fantasy that it's like, well, this is what we could, this is what we could do here. We could put the brakes on the, on the liberalization and the, you know, of culture and of society. And we, you know, we can just stop, things in time and maybe even roll things back a little bit to you know a time where we were more comfortable i, I think that that is it um, yeah the, the red but so why is mike pence going there? I, I i have a take on this i have a hot take okay please which i'll, which I'll bounce off you um you know in answer to the question what is the constituency for this you know hungarian fascist adjacent politics the answer is tucker carlson and as soon as now that tucker carlson has embraced hungary 
you have these other Republican politicians feeling, okay, you know, we can't be the cuck that doesn't go to Hungary. Otherwise, Tucker Carlson's going to rip us during the primary. And this is another one. Are you kidding me? Are we really going down this road? Why else is Mike Pence flying to Budapest? Tucker's part of it. Tucker's a big part of it, right? I mean, obviously, these guys are going to try to do everything they can to get in his good graces um, in the event that uh, Donald Trump has a heart attack. Um, You know, he's going to be a kingmaker. Um, I I think that part of it is also, I mean, this Rod Dreher is there, and not to just kind of bore people with, like, the internal conservative, et cetera, et cetera, but, like, there is this kind of Christian, uh, and this is Pence's other kind of, not other, only real base left, right, which is, you know, there was this group of extremely evangelical, you know, they, they tended to be for Cruz in the primary in 2016. They all came around for Trump eventually, um, but they were some of the last holdouts because, you know, he, uh, he wasn't hardline enough for them, um, believe it or not. And then, and and that is the Pence base, right? And and one of these writers, Roger, is like moved to Hungary and, and, and you know, good. just kind of throws roses, rose petals at the feet of Orban because, you know, he's anti-gay and, uh, you know, he does all the stuff that like in America, you know, the, the fight's already over on all these kind of, you know, social, old social uh, battles, cultural battles from the 80s and 90s, but, but Orban's still waging them. And so I, I think that it's that, right? It's like solidifying his, you know, control or, you know, his support yeah. within this Christianist kind no, of I, community. I, I, I think but that's right. I, I mean, the whole thing is still, what is, I guess my other question is, what is Mike Pence doing in general? I, I just like, Mike Pence doesn't have a path to any, like, like Mike Pence I, is dead. Like, put him I, in a coffin. I, 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 I think so. Okay. So can we talk about Christy Nome for about 60 seconds? Okay. So Christy Nome. I'm nervous. I am too. Okay. And, and, and I, okay, and I know why you're nervous and that's why, that's why I don't want to spend a lot of time on all this. She's having a really crappy week. Um, she's got the whole nepotism, you know, scandal breaking in South Dakota. You know, what did she think that, you know, that she could treat her family the way, you know, the Donald uh, treats, you know, I- Ivanka and Jared and all in, and, uh, and Don Jr. Um, and also she's being attacked by other people from MAGA world. What's going on right now, I think people need to understand, is there, you know, the assumption is that Donald Trump will be the nominee. Um, that's what they think. And so now it's all this, this uh, you know, back alley fight over cage match over who can be the vice presidential nominee. And there's been a lot of buzz that uh, the Donald should pick a woman or a minority, which pushes Christy Nome and people like Tim Scott to the top of the list. And the knives are all out. And she was the su- subject uh, to a uh, I'm not defending Christy Nome. I think there's many in many ways she's deplorable. But to give you a taste of how sludgy it's going to be, she was the victim of the the target of a of, of a garbage attack by a garbage publication. And it was kind of it was it was depressing to see the way some people in the media picked up on it. And we're not going to talk about it. Right. It's just a garbage, garbage attack from a garbage media. But it shows how completely sleazy this campaign is going to be, because in MAGA world, they don't give a shit whether it's true or not. And if you're a woman, they're going to throw absolutely everything at you because this is who they are. Right. Yeah, yeah, I don't have much to add to that except yeah. they are they're extremely sleazy and um and you know my only comment on the story you're referencing is I, I had one um and, and and this little anecdote which is 
not directly about the story, but can help people who want to Google it who don't know what we're talking about. I had one encounter with Corey Lewandowski once, um, and it was I was following Donald Trump around a spin room and kind of trolling him uh, back in 2016, and Corey got in between me and and Donald. So I was kind of standing over his shoulder in a in a uh, scrum, and and he had the worst breath that I have ever encountered <laughs> in my entire life. Um, I was like, I mean, it worked. Like he, I was not intimidated by his physical presence, but his breath was enough to separate me from the Donald. And so it always, when I see story, garbage, sleazy stories like that one, I'm like, I just, you know, raises alarm bells for me that anybody would want to be in close proximity to him. The other story about Corey Lewandowski and Politico about how he sexually assaulted a donor that or not sorry, harassed. I mean, you, I guess let's we can we can pick words, but I, he was grabbing her butt, yeah. um, like that. Um, you know, that sounds much more much more against her will. That sounds much more like the Corey I, I knew. Um, I will. The, my other observation about the gnome story that is it's telling about how sleazy MAGA world is, but the other depressing part is um, her uh, spokesperson put out a quote. I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically like her spokesperson's response to the story, the the credible story against her about how you know her daughter didn't get some sort of real estate license, and she calls in like the secretary of labor and a few other people to like browbeat them over over this. I mean, like totally inappropriate use of power. And the Ape Associated Press wrote a very straight story about this. It wasn't like a hit piece from the left, and um, you know her spokesman's quote like sounded like Sean Spicer, you know, I sounded like a Trump person. It was just like the fake news media, like is attacking our daughter, you know, the governor's daughter and nobody believes anything that you liberal schmucks have to say. And it's just like, no, man, like that is not how we used to do business. Like but, we had but, a but lot that's, of flaws that's, when that's, I was, when I was a young comms person, but like we would at least, tr- you know, give quotes, like treated people with respect and whatnot. I, it's just, it's so sad that it's all trickled down to even like the spokesperson for the governor of South Dakota talks like Kaylee McEnany now. Well, you're going to see more of that because, yeah, for sure. you know, so if she's auditioning for Trump's re- return revenge tour as the vice president, what she's got to show is, you know, how she can handle this and she's got to show that she can fight. And the more and so the, you know, the the, the harsher, the dumber the response, the more likely it is that, you know, that the the Mango Mussolini is going to look at that and go, yeah, this is she's tough. Yeah, she, 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 she she can she can handle that, by the way. Uh, wait till they open up on Tim Scott because you know they are in the megaverse. Um, they're they're going to be going after him. Okay, so speaking of interesting stories, that was then. This is now. Um, CNN uh, unearthed this new video from uh, 2016 showing Liz Cheney's trumped back primary challenger Harriet. Is it Hageman? Hageman. Um, rebuking Trump and enthusiastically endorsing. Liz Cheney, um, the comments from Hageman found by CNN's K-File in in footage of the Wyoming Republican Party's convention that year, many years ago, show the abrupt about face from the Wyoming attorney who received Trump's backing in the GOP primary against Cheney earlier this month. Once a leader of efforts to oppose Trump's nomination, she now calls Trump the greatest president in my lifetime. Tim Miller, you used to hang with her, didn't you? might be an overstatement we were on some conference calls we were on some conference calls um back when we were doing something called free the delegates harriet hageman wanted to free the delegates of 2016 so people could vote their conscience on the floor of the convention in cleveland um i was offering some free advice to that crowd because 
I don't know, what the hell else was I going to do after Donald Trump was on path to being the nominee? Um, in the end, I ended up pulling the plug and not. I, I, I could see the, the writing on the wall that our effort to free the delegates was going to fail. And so I went to Richmond to hang out with a friend and get blackout drunk and not watch the convention rather than punish myself by going to Cleveland. Um, but uh, she, But in the lead up, you know, she was like one of the key players. She was on the rules committee. That was, you know, you had to get this vote of of rank and file Republicans uh, the, to change the rules of the convention to allow people to vote. You know, if, if Donald Trump had won Wyoming, for for example, she could have voted for Ted Cruz, uh, and and you know, and and that would have counted towards Ted Cruz's delegate total. Total. Um, that was a doomed to fail effort, um, but you know, uh, might as well try. But it goes to show just how anti-Trump and she was fully fully never Trump and then I, I think the other interesting anecdote from because uh, I didn't follow this race that closely uh, from the Jonathan Martin New York Times story uh, on Hageman is that in, or excuse me Reed Epstein uh, New York Times story mm-hmm. on Harriet Hageman is uh, in 2018 she ran for governor very much kind of as like a Glenn Young kid you know what I mean she had like stepped over a step but she didn't go full MAGA right away. She ran in this governor's primary, and the MAGA endorsed he was this guy, Foster Freeze, who's, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace. And uh, the uh, uh, then there was another guy who was Trumpier than her who didn't get the Trump endorsement. And so she was sort of the more, again, you know, whatever you want to call it, Ben Sass type. Like, it was an anti-Trump, but, um, you know, ran on a conservative platform and, and wanted to focus on local issues and didn't do the MAGA thing. So, you know, so I, I just think that this all just shows how phony this is, like her campaign against Liz. Now, the question is, do the Wyoming voters actually care about yeah. that, whether she's phony or not? I mean, I think maybe people, you know, I get a good email from somebody who said that they were, when they were going into politics back in the 60s, a political strategist gave them, gave, the advice that they gave them was, tell the voters what they want to hear, even if they know you're lying. <laughs> like, they don't care. Nice. Voters don't nice. care if they know nice. you're lying. Nice. And so yeah. that's a little sad, but um, I, I, we'll see. Uh, what I'm hoping, I think the best thing for Liz Cheney is that this stuff creates enough anger at Hageman on the right that uh, that one of the other Trumpy, unendorsed Trumpy guys stays in and dilutes the vote a little bit. Um, but I, boy, I think I think Liz has a pretty tough tough road to hoe ahead of her, regardless of that if that happens. But that that would help at least a little bit. Okay, so since I I have to unburden myself of all of my baggage and bad moments, I don't know if this is really a bad moment, but but I remember that whole uh, free the delegate thing, and and unlike you, I actually had to subject myself to the Cleveland convention that nominated Donald Trump. Woof. Why? And 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 so there was, was this the area. There, there was. I had a radio show back then. Anyway, but there was, you know, the convention hall was this surrounded by this huge sort of fenced complex. And there was kind of a an area where you 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 went through security and then, you know, it's kind of a yeah, I don't know, a lot of people sort of hung out there after after the sessions. And I still remember, I don't know whether I have a picture of it or not. I still remember after that fight, walking out and seeing one of the leaders of that, which I thought was courageous. And, you know, obviously I was supporting you know, anything that could possibly derail yeah, Trump. Sure. I, I, although like you, I, I didn't think there was any chance whatsoever, but you know, at least they were going through the motions. And so there may be a picture of this, me walking up to Ken Cuccinelli. Oh, I was hoping it was going to be Mike Lee. It was I mean, uh, also terrible, but better, but even, but even worse and saying, Hey, that was great. And of course, Ken Cuccinelli turns out to be one of the most deplorable Trumpist hacks alive. 
But that night he was like, you know, and so these the transformation of these people is amazing. So surely you should have known. Well, maybe I should have known, but I mean, it is the invasion of the body snatchers thing. It really is watching that happen. But of course, but I shouldn't have expected more. No, and if it if I would have seen Mike Lee, I probably would have said the same thing. I'm yeah. Yeah, you can't see me because it's not a video podcast, but I'm yeah. doing I'm doing the sign of the cross. You know, if it's St. Joe, I'm 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 giving you penance on this one. Five Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. And oh, thank I, you. That's okay. I really, I really do appreciate that. Okay, so one one last topic in the time we have left. You're not my party um this week, is by the way, is as usual, fantastic. And I think is is one of the best uh, takes on the the, re, the 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 dilemma that Joe Biden faces on dealing with immigration, the incredible shit show down at the border, and the way that he is caught between wanting to be compassionate Joe and wanting to be not crazy Joe. So give me your take on Biden's problem and what he should do to get out of this, because it, this is a big problem. It's going to be a big problem in the midterms. It's going to be a big problem in 2024, and the optics are terrible. Um. I'm answering this. I want to, at the end, I want to do one more thing. I want to unburden myself with some thoughts about the NBA vaccine issue. Um, okay, so right. we will, we can, we can, we can close on that. Cause I have, I have to, I have to betray someone that I didn't want to betray on twitter.com. We can do it in the confines of our, of our friendly podcast. Um, the, uh, as far as, as far as the immigration, I'm not my party. Um, look, it, it is it is bad. I mean, it's getting lost in the news cycle right now. But the the border situation um, with the Haitians compounding what was already, you know, the influx already coming from the Northern Triangle, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and then, you know, standard Mexican uh, migration north. Um, you know, there's an overwhelming uh, amount of humans just at the border. And it's a humanitarian disaster. I mean, they had they were in these camps uh, that were really, really disgusting. Um, obviously, that's a dangerous situation. There's still coyote, coyotes there. And so, you know, there's this notion on the left. And look, I, I'm, you know, as part of the reason I, I think I was so repelled by Trump, besides all the obvious reasons, is that I've always been, uh, you know, on the lefty edge of immigration. Like, I, I, I'm mm -hmm. extremely for, you know, you know, as, as much immigrant, as many people as we can take in, you know, and, and responsibly, I think that we should take in. A and and but that has to have some limits to it, right? And and right now, you know, you see on the right again a total nihilism, just like we were talking about on 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 you know spending and on the infrastructure bill, et cetera, um, and congressional actions. You see this on immigration, where it's like nobody on the right has to think about their position anymore because it's just like everybody out, border closed. Um, you know, white replacement theory. You know, the new racist hotness, right? And so so the the politics on the right is very easy. Um, Politics for Joe Biden is much harder because on the left, you know, he's getting a lot of pressure now, a lot of well-intentioned people for good reasons saying, you know, you promised to to roll back all the Trump policies and we need to have, a, you remember the debate in 2016 where like three quarters of the candidates were like, we should decriminalize border crossings and 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 no human is illegal. And it's, well, that's a, a well-intentioned thought. I imagine if, if a Democratic president had done that and decriminalized border crossings, I, we'd have double the influx and we'd have massive camps on the border. So you have to have some limits. You know, you, you, you have to have, you know, be able to put some rules in place 
in order to gain control of the border just for the, you know, A, for the humanity of the people coming, not to leave them in these gross camps, but B, for the politics of it. You can't, you know, you're, you're, you're begging the Republicans to put another nativist back in the White House if you can't gain control of it. So uh, my view, what I laid out in the in the Not My Party is that, you know, he needs to go back to a, a good old, you know, good old, brace yourselves, compassionate conservatism. And there are some popular issues that they can that he can put the screws of the Republicans on. It's crazy we haven't dealt with the Dreamers yet. It's crazy there are at least ten Republican senators who have said that they're for citizenships for the Dreamers, but they won't pass the bill. Uh, this is a winning issue that the Democrats should should you know go back on offense on the refugee cap. Um, uh, Afghan refugees, you can already see the worm turning on this where Republicans wanted to mm-hmm. use Afghan refugees against him, but then now realize their voters don't actually want Afghan refugees to come in. They might have said so in the polls during that one week where it was all in the news. But now, increasingly, if you look at the rhetoric, it's changing. Um, and, and so you can put the screws to them on that. Uh, this is That's going to have broad popularity across the, uh, across the middle, get, you know, re- getting rid of Trump's inhumane anti-refugee policies. Uh, but then you have to come up with some kind of limits and, and get some kind of and, and, and put money and, and judges and whatever other resources are necessary on the border uh, to get out of control. And that's going to mean sending some people home. And, and, that's, and that sucks. And, you know, I understand that there have been plenty of sturm and drag on the left about, you know, how horrible it is we're sending folks back to Haiti. But, like, some of these Haitians don't have good asylum claims, right? Like, they, they didn't come straight from Haiti. They went from Haiti and, you know, because it's so terrible, and they lived for a year in South America or Central America. And so you, you're not an asylee if you've been living for a year in another safe place. Uh, that's just that's just the rules. I, I, it's unfortunate. You wish you could bring everybody from Haiti to somewhere, but you can't. So, um, so you're he needs to be able to get like some limits on that and then and hopefully get it triangulation. under control. Yeah, you got to triangulate it. You're a little bit of triangulation. And, and they're not contradictory. It's not contradictory to you know have the policy on refugees, have the policy on the dreamers, but also say we're simply not going to have open borders. And I think that they need to be strong about that. It's very clear that you can do both those things because the Republican position for people who forget, like five minutes before Donald Trump came down the golden escalator, was of course we want to have open doors to legal immigration. We want to have, you know, a, a process, but we also want to have security. We want to make sure that the border was secure and that there was always that sort of push and pull. And we never quite got the balance uh, you know, right about that. And as you point out, at least on the right, there is no balance at all. You know, it's it's no. it's all it's all nativism now. But 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 you are right. And I do think that this is a finessable issue. But um you know, this is something that, that Joe Biden has to decide is 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 he going to govern as the compassionate centrist that he ran as or is he going to feel the need uh, to appease the left over and over and over again? Because that'll just paralyze his presidency, I think. Yeah. And you look at the and, and you the, the best example Biden was good at ignoring the Twitter crises for a long time. And I, I just I saw a concerning break on that with the with the Haitian issue. You know, I mean, what I, I don't I wasn't there. I don't see with you know, I didn't see everything. I'm sure some border guards acted inappropriately in dealing with the Haitians coming across the border. But 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 a lot of the Twitter stuff was just not true, right? Like they weren't whipping anybody. Like nobody got whipped. Like they were they were horses, and it was guys carrying these long horse reins. Um, uh, did, did were they some of them a little too rough? Do, do we need more policies, different, more humane policies about border cards? I'm, I'm sure we do. But like the fact that the that Biden, Saki, Harris, Mayorkas, all kind of like 
quasi went along with the whipping. You know, like that just makes me very concerned that they're going to be too responsive, you know, on this. And 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 I'm hoping that there, there there are other humane ways to deal with this. It's not like there isn't an entire infrastructure of people, many of whom have written for the Bulwark, who who want a humane border policy and have proposed white papers and showed like what kind of resources we can put down there. Like there are ways to, to mitigate this, not to solve it. Uh, it's an intractable problem. There are ways to mitigate it, but like just responding to every like yop on, on Twitter about people are mad about this one, one incident, like is just not going to serve them that well. No, I, I agree. Okay. So in the time we have left NBA players, Vax, your take. Yeah, well, so we got 95% of the NBA is vaxxed, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But all of, just like in, in our tra- traditional media problems, all of the focus is on, you know, the eight guys that aren't. And, and they're all getting asked about press conferences. They're not for people who aren't watching. They're, in certain games, they're not going to be able to play. Because here in San Francisco, you can't go into the Chase Center if you're not vaxxed. God bless the uh, owners of the Warriors. And so, you know, there's a guy on the Warriors who... Like, well, that's your home team. So he can't play half the games if he doesn't get back. So there's all these questions and controversies. And the politicians now, you know, so they get all asked about it at NBA Media Day. And, you know, some of them are kooky in their answers. Some of them are pretty, um, you know, give really reasonable defenses. Like, not not what I would say, but, um, you know, about how they've already had it and, and et cetera, et cetera. and so, you know, now enter the Republican politicians who used to tell these guys to shut up and dribble when they said Black Lives Matter, you know, now that they are fighting against the vaccine mandates that are, you know, trying to save, um, you know, people in the country when we still have 2000 people dying a day from from a virus that we have a vaccine to, um, you know, they want to. They, they want to stand with the people who are for freedom. So you got Ted Cruz out there tweeting, I stand with Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving and Jonathan Isaac, et cetera. It's, and you know, it's, Ted all, Cruz it's is almost, be an by the way, it, it's, it's almost as if Ted Cruz is not a good faith actor. It's, it's almost, almost as if, it's, it's almost. almost as if the guy is completely full of shit, but go on. But one of my old bosses is a good faith actor. And so I was just disappointed to see him tweet Jonathan Isaac on the Orlando magic's answer. Uh, and, and it was, you know, uh, he said he's for vac- vaccine mandates or not mandates. He said he's for vaccination. He thinks everybody should get vaccinated, but this was a smart answer or whatever. And it's true. Jonathan Isaac is this player who went to Florida state. He's on the magic. Now he gave a very th- well thought out, um, reasoned answer for why he personally isn't getting the vaccine. The problem with this is that like, why are we tweeting Jonathan Isaac's answer? Like, hey, shouldn't Jonathan Isaac's answer have ended with, uh, but I'm just speaking for myself, and like I think everybody should get vaccinated, right? Then that would have been a really good answer. Uh, he didn't say that. Shouldn't we be tweeting out like you know Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and and other players who are giving reasons why they did get the vaccine and saying, "Wow, this is a thoughtful answer for somebody who cares about the community and people around them, and who isn't just thinking selfishly about them about the their own neuroses and who actually you know don't want maybe the trainer or the you know, janitor or whoever works in the stadium who might be immunocompromised or have a kid or have a family member that's immunocompromised. Like maybe we should care about them. Like I, it would be nice, but you don't see any of those on social media, right? Like in social media, the only answers that are going around are from, you know, the contrarians. And so like, this is very frustrating yeah. for me. And I think that Ted Cruz is an asshole, but I think that there are some people that do this in good faith that they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, props to this guy for giving a good answer. But, but that, that's wrong. Like, like we should be giving props to the people that are encouraging 
you know, caring about the, the health of everybody. And like, this is a, this is a solvable problem. Denmark has solved it because the, the Danes just got their fucking shots. And, yep. uh, and, and like, and that is what we need to be encouraging. And, and, you know, there've been some good answers from NBA players out there on that. Uh, but unfortunately we just have to get stuck listening to, to to Jonathan Isaacs of the world. And, and also I think this gives a distorted picture of the way people are receiving the vaccine. So we have this Washington post story today that the New York state mandate that took effect this week requiring healthcare workers to be vaccinated has boosted the immunization rates of care providers. New York has so far succeeded in rolling out the requirement without causing severe staffing shortages. So once again, all of the stories, breathless, there will be dozens and hundreds of people who will be quitting their jobs. In reality, at the end of the day, they take the vaccine and they don't quit their jobs amazingly, right? Exactly. It works. Shocking. It it works so that there's there's a lot of, you know, Twitter courage. I will not take the vaccine. I will quit. But when it comes down to it, you're getting these numbers like 99%, 99 99.5%. United Airlines finding out that, you know, again, that the vast majority of employees are going to go along with the mandate if it is, I mean, with the vaccine, if it is mandated. So these things, these things work. And I do think the media should stop, you know, constantly focusing on that tiny minority of resistors and also not being quite so credulous about the claims that there will be these massive resignations or shortages if there are mandates, because there's no evidence that it's actually taking place. Amen. No, I mean, it's crazy. Amen. It's crazy that they're co- that they're covering all this, and you can just see there. I mean, like there, the Leonard story about the red state crisis. You can see oh, there's a, a graph of the rural. Right, you can just look at the graph right now. In rural America, deaths are skyrocketing. Well, well, they're kind of flatlining in in urban. Uh, the top, uh, New Jersey's still in there, but but Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana are now the top three states for deaths. Like New York, because of that the the bad first wave, New York was way way ahead of all the other states, and 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 partly because the way Cuomo dealt with it in in deaths per capita. Now New York's been passed by three southern states all during this time where we have a vaccine. You know, and then you've got these Same. assholes like Charlie Cook Same. over at, at National Review who are like, there's no trends. You can't see any trends here and it's just seasonal and it'll come back to the Northeast. And no, like yeah, it's seasonal. Like yes, there are there are certain things that that will that will change as we get into the winter, but there are real trends. Like the fact that the the, the three red states in the South uh, have now passed New York in deaths per capita at many months after we've had a vaccine. Like I, you know, you don't have to be an expert statistician to de- to, to determine what the trend is here. And 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 the people who are usually credulously kind of advancing these like pro-freedom arguments and the anti-anti arguments and the me- media arguments like are, are are just are just cogs in this wheel that is that is that is creating completely unnecessary death well tim thanks for joining me again particularly yeah, we'll just um, end it on uh, death a no no no, no, no. Death will make the I, see, I was gonna end it by saying <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to join me on julie andrew's 86th birthday <laughs> The good news, of course, is that she turns 86 today, which means that she can run for United States Senate in California <laughs> or Iowa and perhaps for the Republican. I don't know. She's not a Republican. Um, but at 86, uh, who knows, you know, how many years she would have if she was a Supreme Court justice or or if she was in the federal government, because that's a different world. So let's let's end it on this. We can't end it on a spoonful of sugar, but uh, happy birthday to Julie Andrews. Thanks, everybody 
for listening to this weekend's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday.